Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 2 this evening. I'm, going to try to, I'm not going to try to go much further than verse 2. We'll try to stay at verse 2. Um, running this race that the Lord has given us to run, a course that we are on, again, is one that has already been run. Our Lord Jesus has run it before us. And so we we read here in verse 2, Paul says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is, again, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, as we look this morning there in verse number 1, we're talking about chapter number 11 in regards to, to this great hall of faith. Paul ends it here with our Lord Jesus as the chief, the author and the finisher of our faith. It was this very faith that all these folks in chapter 11 are are spoken of here, their works of faith, their belief in the Lord, their their belief in the promises that God had given them, they all come from the Lord Jesus. He's the author of our faith. He's the author author of their faith as well, you see. They have faith, that faith is given to them by Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the author and finisher of our faith as He is the author and finisher of their faith. And we are to look to Him, as we were talking already this morning concerning, we are to look to Him in running this race that He has given for us to run. We are to look to Him. We are to hold fast to Him because He is the one that has went before us. He is the beginning and the ending. He is the author and finisher of our faith. We are to look to Him in the race that we are running. We are to look to Him in the life that we are living. We are to look to Him in the walk that we are walking for our Lord. Whatever metaphor you want to use in our service to the Lord, we are to keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus. We are to follow after Him. We are to hold on to Him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And this cloud of witnesses that Paul spoke of there in verse number 1, from them we can gain some inspiration from. They're given to us as examples that we we see what they endured, we see what they went through, and we see them yet faithful. We see them yet believing. And from them we can gain inspiration. Some, Some motivation to continue on when we think about the greatness that God has worked through them and accomplishing the things that they accomplished. From them we can gain inspiration. 
but our true example. The one we are to model is our captain. Our eyes are to be fixed upon Him. For He, even though Paul ends this passage of faith here with Him, He does not show characteristics of faith like the others that are mentioned in chapter 11. He doesn't show the characteristics of the faith of those mentioned there. But rather, He's the author and finisher of the faith. He is, you see, He is that faith. Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, there are those today that have no problem with Him being the author but they want to take the finishing up on their on themselves. They want to try to take care of that on their part. Uh, but he's not just the author. He's the author and finisher of our faith. There are those even that, that don't even want him as the author. There are those that want to put him just with the list there in chapter number 11. Oh, he's just another example. That's their mindset. He's no different. As far as his, his, his works of faith, He's no different than Moses. He's no different than Abraham. He's just another example given to us. And we should really try to be like Jesus. Because man, He had a good example of faith. No. No, it's, He's not just another example. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who gives us faith. He is the one who has worked for us faith. And He is the one that finishes our faith in Him. He is the one that brings it to pass. He is the one that fulfills the promises of it. It is what we believe in. It's not just some random thing called faith or spirituality like so much of the world wants to say they are or say they believe in. We believe in Christ Jesus. He is what we are fixed our, uh, fix our eyes upon. He is the one in whom we believe. It is what He has done. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It is Him. It is Him that we believe. It is Him that we trust. He is these things for us. Our faith, our life, our way. It is Him, you see. Him. So He doesn't just show the characteristics of faith. He is the author and finisher of that faith. But He also ran that race. We're called to run this race, Paul says. Run that race with patience, with uh, a, a, on a course that Christ Jesus has already ran before us. And we're following Him. And He did run that race before us. He blazed that trail before us. But He ran a race, uh, should say, ran the most difficult race. The most difficult race. He did so without wavering and without sin. He ran that race in absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. Absolute righteousness. Hebrews chapter 4, 
Paul says there in verse number 15 of this passage, Hebrews 4 verse 15, For we have not an high priest, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Don't ever get to a place where you think God just don't understand. Now don't ever get to a place where you get so brash to say, well, God understands. We can't, we can't go too far either way, you understand. There are those that give excuse for their sin or try to give excuse for their sin, try to give excuse for their wickedness, and they'll say, well, God understands. Don't do that. Don't ever, don't ever take God's grace for granted. Don't ever take His grace for granted. Don't ever put such a low estimation on God's love that you would use Him as your excuse. Do not do that. But then on the other hand, as Paul says here in Hebrews chapter 4, don't ever get to a place where you get so burdened down with the situation of your life that you get so burdened down with a particular thing, the particular trial, the particular trouble that comes into your life. Don't ever get to a place where you think that you're all alone. Our God knows exactly as we've discussed this morning, He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly how hard it is on you. He knows exactly how you feel in every aspect and every part of it. He knows exactly because He has allowed it to come into your life. And He will use it in your life. As Paul makes that wondrous promise to us there in Romans 8, for your good. He'll work all things together for your good. Man, that's a precious promise. Especially in the middle of the trial. Because sometimes that's all you can hold on to. Lord, I don't know. <laughs> I just absolutely have no idea what you're doing here. But I know what you've promised me. I know what you've promised. So I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. He knows exactly what we are enduring. He knows exactly what we face. For he was, as he says here, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Now notice verse 2 again of our text there, Hebrews 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This, this, 
verse number two is just, for me, it is just a thrilling verse. I love this verse. There, there's so much in here that glorifies my Lord. As Paul gives this description of it, and I, I, it, it thrills me to even read it. It thrills me to consider it. It thrills me. But I'll, I'll never be able to do justice to it in me speaking about it to you. But there's just so much in it that glorifies my Lord. He's the author and finisher of my faith, of our faith. And then listen to what he, what he says concerning him here. Who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down, and is set down, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy. What was this joy? There are those that say, well, the joy was the cross. No. It says because of the joy, He endured the cross. You see, the, the, the cross, there was no joy in the cross. None whatsoever. It was great pain. It was great sorrow. It was great trouble on our Lord. He, he suffered much because of that cross. Him going to it, Him hanging on it, and all that He endured during that time, it was great suffering that He endured. Great sorrow that He endured. But He did so for the joy. For the joy. What is this joy? There's three things I see in Scripture. Three. I believe all three of them have application in this idea of His joy. First of all, go over to John 17. This is His prayer. The night of His arrest. This is when He has come into the garden. He is... Uh, asked his disciples, of course, to pray with him. They kept falling asleep. This was at the time Matthew describes for us that he, as he prayed, and with such earnestness as he prayed, that he sweat as it were great drops of blood pouring from him. As he prayed in this this anxiety, if I can use such a term, this sorrow of what he was about to endure. Now understand, we, we look at it so often, I mean it's hard not to, when we consider the cross, it's hard for us not to see the physicality of it. The crown of thorns on his head, the beating that he endured, the plucking of his beard from his face, the, the scourging with the cat of nine tails that would tear the flesh 
from his body, his, his bones and even his bowels being exposed there. Him naked before all of them hung there on that tree, nailed with those nails on that tree. And then to have all of that reviling and hatred against him as he endured that. It's hard for us to, to get beyond that reality. But that was not... That was not the hardest part. That was what man would do to him. It is the judgment that Isaiah 53 declares for us that was poured out on him during those three hours of darkness as he hung there in my place as my sin was put upon Him as He bore my sin in my place. It was at that time as God's wrath was poured out on Him that He took the punishment for my sin. This is what He's crying out to His Father for during this time of prayer. If it be Thy will, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be. He was enduring such a heavy load. Such a heavy load. And I can't even fully, I, 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 I simply go from what I know He said He's done. That He bore my sin. That He took my punishment. That He took my place. That He took upon Himself my sin and in return gave unto me His righteousness, His imputed righteousness on my behalf. I simply don't, I can't fully grasp, I can't fully understand what took place between Him and the Father in those three hours. And I don't think I'm supposed to know that's the reason He was covered in darkness for those three hours. But I know what He did. He took my place. He took my punishment. He bore it for me there on that cross. And here in John 17, He describes for us, I believe, a couple of things. In regards to his joy, why he would endure such a sorrow, why he would endure such pain and suffering. John 17, beginning in verse 1, he says, These words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Two things, I think, there that are shown to us. Also back here in John 15, and verse number 8, down through verse number 11, 
He said, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. These two things I think we find a part of this joy that he would endure the cross is number one, his own glorification and his father's glorification. Everything, everything that God has set in order, everything that he has put in place is for that chief purpose to glorify him. To glorify him. He is worthy of all glory. And everything that He has set in motion in His creation will glorify Him. Everything. And so I think that's part of that joy, is that that glorifying the Father and the glorifying Himself. But the third thing, I think we also find here in John 17. The idea of glorifying the Father and glorifying the Son is something that thrills me. The fall of my Father's glory. This third one. This third one humbles me. And at the same time lifts up my heart. Verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Verse 6, he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Verse 24, down through verse number 26, he says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. What is the joy that was set before him but the redemption of his people that were given him by the Father before the world began? 
Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. This course context here is Israel that he's speaking to. But it applies to all his children. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 4. Ephesians 1, verse number 4. Paul says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. This which was contracted between the Father and the Son from eternity past, that there was a people given to the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an elect that was given Him that his the whole of the whole of history understand this the whole of history was to bring to pass your salvation in the day of God's grace everything that he worked everything that he set forward everything that he's brought to pass was to work out that grace in you to bring to pass the salvation of his people Everything. That is His chief end. And here, this which was contracted between the Father and the Son from eternity past is now coming to fruition as the Lord is preparing to go to the cross. That which was contracted between them is now being done. It's being carried out. The Lord is going to the cross. He is giving that payment for His people. And it is from that cross that He would take upon Himself our sin and there cry out it is finished that which he had purposed to do from eternity past is done there on the cross that was the joy my salvation and your salvation was that joy that was set before Him that He would endure that cross and He would endure that punishment that He would face, that He would go through that for us because of the joy of redeeming His people unto Himself. To accomplish, to accomplish that very work. To redeem those that the Father had given Him. 
all. Go back over to John 6. Let's read those few verses there. Beginning in verse 37. The Lord says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. All that the Father gives me, He said, I will lose nothing. He made the payment on this day when He died on the cross in our place. And that payment is final. There's no return policy. No return policy. He made it. It's final. It is finished, he declared. And he did that. He faced it. He, he, he accomplished that. He endured this reality because he was joyful about redeeming those he loved. About redeeming those he loved to bring us unto himself. So, the captain of our faith, our Savior, and our King went to this hour, as He would call it, knowing full well the outcome that was ordained. Again, He was mocked, He was beaten, He was scourged, He was nailed to the cross. There he died. He was pierced in the side. He was buried in the ground. And in the process of this, he became sin for us, bearing it in our place, taking upon himself the punishment of that sin, that by it, that by it we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 tells us. That He was made sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He was dead. He was buried. But he did not stay in the grave. For he came forth. He came forth conquering death, hell, 
and the grave because it had no power, no power over him. He had committed no sin. For by the wages of sin is death. That's what death, that's how death comes. That's the payment for sin, death. Our Lord endured a death, but it was a death He chose. It was a death He gave because He did not, death had no power over Him. He gave Himself in that. Taking my death, taking your death by bearing our sin for us. And so death had no power over him. So he gave up his life. And he took it up again. And he come forth out of that grave. Never again to enter into a grave. He is the ever living God. And is seated at the right hand of his father. Seated there. His place. It's His place. He's set. Set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a study there about the times that He stands. There's a study about the times that He stands. We're here as our great high priest. Here as our Savior. Here as the author and finisher of our faith. He's set at the right hand of the throne of God. Look unto Him. Look unto Him. Author and finisher of our faith. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed.